Welcome to episode 172 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on the first 40 miles, once you've got survival in the woods figured out, maybe you're ready to take it to the next level. We've got the top five secondary survival essentials to round out your outdoor experience. Then we'll review a stove and pot combo that will help you cook up your latest trail cuisine experiment. And if you're not feeling like any culinary experimentation, we'll share a food hack that's under a buck and requires no dishwashing. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Last week, we talked about the five C's of survival. It's a little device that bushwhackers used to help them remember what the basics of survival are. They need something that will act as a cover. They need something that can cut. They need a cup or some kind of, you know, way to hold liquid. They need cordage or something to tie things up with. And then the last one, can you remember? (laughs) Oh, what was it? It must not be so essential. (laughs) Combustion. 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 Or some way of heating things. Right. And those five C's ensure that you'll be warm, dry, protected. It's just the basics of survival. But doing that top five list got me thinking about what's the next level? What's the secondary tier of the five C's? If you were to pick five more, What would those be and how would they enhance your outdoor experience and kind of take it beyond survival? You know, survival actually is a pretty bleak state of being. Josh and I spent the last couple weeks in survival mode recovering from the flu. Having and recovering from the flu, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, before you recover, you go down into it. Oh, it's a pit. Yeah, not fun because you know where you're going and you know you're going to be there a while. (laughs) Just totally survival mode. It really is. I mean, you are under cover. You're (laughs) wrapped up in your blanket for a week. You're just drinking water. You're just trying to stay warm. Actually, you're just trying to balance your body temperature. Yeah, it's it's a a rough place to be. So survival is not what we're aspiring to when we go backpacking, that's the baseline. That's what you want to start with. You want to be able to be alive when you're done with the experience. Even as the two of us were, quote unquote, surviving through the flu, we commented to each other on how grateful we are for some of the things that we do have that 100, 200, 300 years ago, people didn't have. So we were really grateful that we're in a warm, dry house with a heater that just automatically turns on and keeps it at 72 degrees all the time, and that we don't have to go outside the house to go to the outhouse. That was right here in our house. (laughs) Uh, That we could lay in bed sleeping and not really have to worry about our safety or getting too cold, too wet, any of that. So even during the flu, I think perhaps we were doing a little more than surviving. 
that maybe we had some of the comforts that people in the past did not have when they went through the flu. So when we go backpacking, especially uh, nowadays, we also bring a lot of comforts with us that we're really grateful for. And maybe we can hardly even imagine surviving without those comforts. And yet people hundreds of years ago, they had to. Well, it reminds me of that song, uh, I Gotta Be Me. And there's a line in that song that says, I want to live not merely survive. And so if you are new to backpacking and you're thinking that it's supposed to be a dreadful experience and you're supposed to suffer and you're, you know, supposed to be uncomfortable, some of that is true, (laughs) but it's also supposed to be enjoyable, which is why we're doing the top five list today of the top five C's of secondary survival essentials. It's beyond what that baseline is and kind of bumps it up to the next level. And like Josh said, 200 years ago, this list would have been a list of luxuries. But today we can backpack and hike with these luxuries. And it doesn't make you any less of a hiker. I think it enhances your experience. But it it means if they were once luxuries, technically they still are luxuries. We can do without them, even though we might not want to. (laughs) Well, the number one C of secondary survival essentials is communication or connection. So staying connected is one of the biggest challenges on the trail, especially if you're hiking as a group. Fortunately, we have a lot of different ways to connect with each other on the trail that involve technology. So that makes communicating a lot easier. And that kind of communication really is a luxury. And radios help if you have some way of communicating using technology. That's great if you're in range. But really, pre-communication and staying connected goes a long way to prevent that awkward guessing about where everyone is on the trail, especially if you end up spreading out. Do you remember what it was like before cell phones? Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) It's a little hard to dig up those memories. There were pay phones, so there was always that trick. Like if, what was it? Like calling collect, but then (laughs) the recipient of the call can turn down the call. Right. So they would say, who's calling? And you say, mom, come pick me up. I'm at the junior high. And then you hang up and they don't accept the charges or something. It's one of those old tricks. (laughs) But even without pay phones, it took some advanced planning When you were going somewhere, you needed to think about the entire time that you were going to be gone and make sure that you had a way to make it all the way back home. And you had to let someone know where you were going, how long, what you were going to be doing, maybe where they should pick you up. And then you had to follow through with that. It just seems so different nowadays. You just kind of do stuff on a whim. And if you get stuck, you pick up your phone and call someone or text them and say, hey, I'm... I'm at the library. Can you come pick me up? (laughs) Or, oh, I went out to get some groceries, but I'm not going to be home for a little bit. Uh, Go ahead and have dinner without me. All of that had to be pre-coordinated before cell phones. Well, guess what? When you're on a backpacking trip, yeah, you might have radios. You might be able to stay in touch that way. More likely than not, you don't have cell service. So you've got to be able to draw on those old ways that some of us learned when we were kids. Some of us learned when we were kids and adults. Some of us never learned those things because we were born with cell phones in our hands. 
Yeah, so staying connected and using good communication skills is one of those secondary survival essentials. Without it, you're just stuck with a lot of guesswork and wondering and waiting, and there's maybe a lot of downtime, maybe a lot of unnecessary downtime that happens when you don't employ those good communication skills. The number two C of secondary survival essentials is convenience. We include so many conveniences while backpacking that maybe we don't even realize it. I mean, fire at the flick of a bick, that's a huge convenience. That saves like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it takes to do the bow drill fire thing. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Probably for someone who's never done it, it could take a long yeah. time. Um, boiling water in 90 seconds without building a fire first. That's amazing. Popping up a tent without having to tie a single knot. Knives that lock open and lock closed for safety. That's a convenience. We have so many conveniences that maybe we don't even remember that these conveniences aren't really necessities. And one of the reasons we go backpacking is to leave the conveniences of modern life at home and get back to a more rustic way of living. But the fact is that we bring so many modern conveniences with us, even when we go backpacking. And it does make me wonder, back 200 years ago, when they wanted to travel and they wanted to build a fire that next night, how did they do it? What are those ancient ways, the ways that they, uh, I guess, had their own version of modern conveniences? I would be fascinated to learn about that kind of thing. But nowadays, we have so many modern conveniences that maybe we're missing out on some old way of doing things that maybe isn't as convenient, but would really provide an interesting uh, experience, you know, kind of a historical experience on the trail. Yeah, that gets me thinking. Maybe we should do a trip where we kind of, I guess, label the conveniences that often go into our packs and pull those out. Do an old-fashioned turn of the century, or no, before that, let's see. Maybe we could decide how many conveniences to pull out or which ones. So do we want to pull out our water purification convenience? That just means we'd have to boil water before we drink uh -huh. it. Do we want to pull out our butane stove convenience, which means we need to light a fire before we can boil the water? Do we want to pull out the Bic lighter or match convenience? <laughs> so we need to bow drill start the fire before we can boil the water. Can you start a fire with a shotgun or like a, you know, one of those old muskets? <laughs> Shoot a log and have it burst into flames. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but there's this one YouTube channel that I love. It's called James Townsend and Sons. And they talk about the old way of doing things back in the early America days, kind of around the time of the Revolutionary War. And uh, they survived. They thrived. They had their own version of modern conveniences. So I think that would be a really fun backpacking trip to take. One that uh, pulls out our modern conveniences and replaces it with modern conveniences <laughs> from 200 years ago. Well, the number three secondary survival essential is cleanliness. Cleanliness has a different definition for everyone on the trail. For some people, this is going to mean a new pair of socks every day. For other people, it will mean that they'll be hand washing laundry every couple days. Maybe cleanliness to you means no dirt under your nails. Good luck with that one. <laughs> 
Um, it's a challenge to keep clean enough, but I think it's also fun to be all grizzly atoms and just not care. Like, just let it go for a while. And that's why cleanliness is a secondary survival essential. Being clean helps to prevent diseases, prevent bacteria overgrowth, stuff like that. That can all lead to some really bad consequences. So it's almost like being clean is a bit more of an essential than a secondary essential. But I think the point is that in our modern lives, we are ultra clean. In fact, I mean, the, the research is kind of showing that we are clean beyond healthy, that we're so clean that we're not keeping our immune system strong and we're developing strange allergies and stuff like that. And so that's what we can give up or at least decide how much of that to give up on a backpacking trip. Yeah, there's probably some basics that you still need to take care of, but can you go a few days without a shower? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think the area where cleanliness does matter is in food preparation. So washing your hands before you handle food or before you touch someone else's food or let them touch your food, that goes a long way toward preventing foodborne illness. But that bit of dust on your forehead? Yeah. It, no. I mean, you're just not clean. But yeah. it, it doesn't really affect anything. Yeah, and I guess we're talking about short-term cleanliness here versus long-term cleanliness. So yeah, being out for a few days in the wilderness, it's okay to kind of let the dirt build up. But um, if it builds up for too long, that's when we're talking about uh, maybe being at risk for bacterial overgrowth and diseases and uh, rashes, <laughs> weird stuff like that. And then also, um, it, when your gear gets too dirty, like your clothing, it doesn't insulate as well and it doesn't breathe as well or wick the moisture. So cleanliness is definitely important, but it's second tier important. The number four C of secondary survival essentials is comfort. Comfort is not a necessity. Comfort is a luxury. And so there are a lot of things that you can endure when you're backpacking or hiking that just kind of put you on the edge of comfort where you're not really 100%. You're not doing your best, but you can survive. So that's why comfort is a second tier survival essential because it takes a lot of preparation to experience comfort on the trail to make sure that your gear fits properly, that you have the right sleeping bag for the temperature that you'll be sleeping in, that you're hydrated enough so you don't get a headache, so that you have all those little things in place so that you are perfectly comfortable. There are probably going to be many moments on the trail where you're not comfortable. So enjoy those moments when you are. In fact, I can remember those moments vividly. Like Wednesday on the Timberline Trail on our first 40-miler together. There was this moment Wednesday morning that was perfectly comfortable. We stopped at a spring and the weather was just right. The temperature was just right. The water was so clear and pure. Oh, it was a golden moment. <laughs> yeah, just the pinnacle of comfort in that moment. Yeah, it's like one of those moments where when you look back on the trip, that's the only thing that you can remember for a long time because <laughs> you're like, that was the best. That was amazing. <laughs> it was truly a beautiful moment. And that's because it's in contrast with all those other moments that are not quite perfectly comfortable or sometimes are a long ways away from perfectly comfortable 
but you survive those moments. And when the really comfortable moments come along, boy, the contrast is so big that you just, it really sticks out. Josh and I went on a backpacking trip recently and experimented a little bit with sleeping bags. Uh, We knew it was going to be in the 40s, roughly. And we decided to bring very warm sleeping bags. Josh brought a negative 15. Yep, yep, negative 15. And I brought a zero. And I can tell you, we were so comfortable that night. It was like... It was lovely. The code had been cracked. And I don't know if we'll ever go on another backpacking trip without taking those sleeping bags. (laughs) Because... For once, we slept perfectly warm, and that was just what we needed. And so comfort is something, sometimes you have to make some sacrifices in terms of weight to experience true comfort. I think that's a sacrifice we're willing to make. That extra pound or two, (laughs) yeah, that was well worth it for the comfort. Now, it might depend on the trip, but for that overnighter, yeah, I would gladly carry that extra pound on any overnighter to stay that comfortable. And the number five C of secondary survival essentials is cuisine. Food is a survival essential. That is first tier survival stuff. But cuisine is a luxury. So top ramen is a food. Coconut curry cashews sprinkled on top of rehydrated pad thai. That is is cuisine. Mm. So one is meh and the other is yeah. Sometimes we eat to not be hungry. A lot of times the bars that we pack in our packs, they just fulfill the caloric requirements. But other times we're truly looking forward to the food that we have to consume on the trail. And it really doesn't have to be that spectacular to bump it from meh to yeah. Maybe just a special mix-in or a special spice or something that you created that you are really looking forward to eating on the trail. And I love this quote from Benjamin Franklin. He says, hunger never saw bad bread. So maybe all it takes to bump up your food is to take that time to get hungry. Maybe that's all it takes. So today's top five list is really just to help you take your survival to the next level, improving your communication, recognizing the conveniences that you already enjoy on the trail, determining your level of cleanliness that you're comfortable with, bumping up your comfort level, whether that means a warmer sleeping bag or just better fitting gear, and then cuisine, kind of focusing on getting your food from beyond meh. And have it be something that you're looking forward to eating. All of these are secondary survival essentials. And I love this little epigram. It says, hush, hush, little luxury. Don't you cry. You'll be a necessity by and by. So these secondary survival essentials that we've shared, they're on the, uh, they're on the fence. And I guess it's up to you whether you choose to have them be an essential or whether you want to still consider these a luxury and maybe try doing a trip without them. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing the Olecamp Kinetic Ultra Titanium Stove. And along with that, we used the XTS Pot from Olecamp also. 
I think we're going to be focusing mostly on the stove, but I wanted to talk about the pot really quick. This doesn't come with the stove, they come separately, but the pot can be used with any stove. The Olecamp XTS pot is kind of interesting because it has a similar look to the Jetboil pot, except it doesn't screw onto anything. You know how the Jetboil pot attaches onto the stove? This pot can be used with any stove. Right. So if we look at butane stoves, which is uh, what the Olecamp stove is, they kind of fall into a couple categories. There's the butane stoves that just uh, screw into a butane canister and you put whatever you want on top of the stove, whatever pot or pan that you have. And then there's the integrated all-in-one stoves, like the jet boils. Um, MSR makes uh, a model as well, where the pot is made especially for the stove and it actually attaches to the stove so it, it all becomes one attached secure unit and those pots have a heat exchanger on the bottom of them that helps to make sure that it, it funnels that heat from the stove as much as possible into the pot so you get very little heat loss radiating out of the system all the heat goes into that water that you're boiling or whatever you're cooking well the ollie camp stove is kind of in between those two it is a standalone stove, but the Olecamp XTS pot that we got with our stove has that heat exchanger built into the bottom of it, and yet it does not securely attach to the stove. It just sets on top. Which means that it's versatile. I mean, you don't have to buy a separate pot stand like you do with the Jetboil if you want to put a different pot on top. And the stove is pretty lightweight. It's mostly titanium. That's the main body of the stove. And then it has an aluminum base and then brass fittings inside the fuel combustion area. And you can actually unscrew the aluminum base off of the titanium body. So if you wanted to make your uh, stove setup really compact, you can. It comes apart. And not only does it take up less space if you unscrew it, but it also makes it so you can clean out your stove if you ever need to. So for the fuel for the Olecamp Kinetic Ultra Titanium Stove, any isobutane canister will work. The boil time on this stove is 3 minutes and 30 seconds, and this stove has a manual ignition, which means you get to light it. So you just turn the little handle to the left, which is how you let the gas come out. Counterclockwise, Counterclockwise. like you're unscrewing it. <laughs> and then you just hold up a match or a bic to it, and uh, it'll ignite. Which is different than a lot of other butane stoves that have a built-in piezoelectric lighter. You push a button, it creates a spark, and that lights the flame. But with the Ole Camp stove, that doesn't exist. You just got to use your own source of flame. Which requires a little bit of uh, hand-eye coordination and no screaming. That's <laughs> <laughs> not too bad. Just hold your lighter a little bit below the surface of the stove and, or, you know, to the side a little bit. The flame will come up, light the stove. No explosions will happen. No. I did it. I survived. It works. But if you forget your lighter, you're up a creek. <laughs> That's true. For mass, the stove weighs 1.7 ounces or 48 grams, and it measures about 2.5 inches by 2.5 inches. As far as maintenance goes, isobutane burns really clean, so you shouldn't have any trouble with a clogged stove. Like Josh said, make sure you bring matches or a lighter so you can light the stove. And the stove plus the butane canister fit easily inside of the XTS pot that we got. So that was really convenient for me to just have it all in the pot. And the fuel fits in that pot too. 
For investment, the Olecamp Kinetic Ultra Titanium Stove is $50. And if you want the Olecamp XTS pot that we talked about with that heat exchanger on the bottom, that is $30. So for investment, this is a, a really good price point for the weight of the stove. You're giving up a few features, like the pot doesn't connect to the stove, just sits on top, and you don't get the built-in lighter, but you get a really lightweight stove at 1.7 ounces for a really good price, really. By comparison, the Snowpeak Gigapower stove that we reviewed in episode 101 when we did our pancake challenge, that's also $50. It has a built-in lighter, however, it weighs twice as much as the Camp stove. The Soto Windmaster is another stove that we have that's very minimalist, very small and lightweight. It's $75. So the Ollie Camp stove is a really good deal by comparison. The Soto Windmaster also has a built-in lighter. So maybe that's worth the extra $25. I don't know. And then when you look at the kit stoves or the stove systems, the Jetboil Flash is $100 and the MSR Wind Burner is $150. Well, the Ollie Camp Kinetic Ultra Titanium stove plus the XTS pot come in at a total of $80. Again, giving up that built-in igniter, but getting a great low weight and great performance stove in terms of boil times and fuel efficiency. One of the things that I loved about using this stove is that it has a wide base to put your pot or mug on. The legs kind of fold out, so it gives it a nice surface for you to put your pan or your pot on. This stove also has really good simmer control. It's very responsive. So if you actually wanted to do some cooking or some simmering, this stove would be a really good option for that. It's incredibly lightweight. It's only 1.7 ounces. It's completely collapsible. Um, you can unscrew the base of the stove, which gives you more storage options. And you can use any pot with it. We use the Camp XDS pot, which was a good fit. There was very little heat loss on the outside. So even though the pot itself doesn't screw onto the stove, it was a really good fit for the stove. I took the Camp Kinetic Ultra Titanium Stove on my trip to the Trinity Alps with a couple of our sons last fall. And guess what? Somehow, my lighter was not in my 10 Essentials kit. How did you survive? Well, uh, one of our sons had one of those um, flint and steel style lighters. <laughs> And that worked just fine. <laughs> I would have never thought to use that. That's so great. It just makes a spark, just like the piezoelectric ones That's do. That's all you need to get the thing started. Yeah. Right. So it worked great, but uh, I had a momentary panic there because <laughs> my 10 Essentials kit, nobody touches my 10 Essentials kit, <laughs> and it always has exactly what I need. And I, I have no idea how my lighter went missing. That is weird. It just happened to go missing on the trip where I brought the Ollie Camp stove and it didn't have a built-in lighter. Stuff like that happens, but I was grateful that uh, there were three of us and our son had one of those little strikers that worked just fine. So we used uh, that along with the Ollie Camp stove and the XTS pot. And at first, the first time that I used the stove, I tried to get the pot to fit and attach to the stove because I had used a jet boil before. And I saw that the pot had a heat exchanger on the bottom, and that leaves kind of an open circle, circular area in the middle inside the heat exchanger. And it just seemed like the stove is supposed to fit up inside of there or something, but it doesn't. You just flip open those uh, legs or whatever on the top of the stove, and you just set the pot on top. And 
it feels like it should attach, but it doesn't. And it worked fine. I mean, I kind of like the idea, like with the jet boil, where it really attaches. And then you're guaranteed that your pot will be centered exactly over the stove. And if it's a little bit tippy because you're on uneven ground, it doesn't really matter too much. It's still going to work. It's not going to slide off. But the Ollie Camp stove worked fine. I didn't have any issues with it being off-center, slipping off, everything else. I liked that it didn't attach. And here's why. Whenever I use a jet boil and I go to pour the water, (laughs) I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Everything is attached. The stove, the isobutane canister, everything. So when I pour the water out, it just feels weird that everything is attached. And with this, with the Ollie Camp stove and the XTS pot, you just lift the pot right off the stove. But I love that it has that heat exchanger, you know, those little coils. It makes a big difference. And so I like having the the heat exchange technology without it being attached to the stove and the isobutane canister. Oh, and I think we also should point out that the XTS pot is a 32-ounce pot, so you'll be able to boil plenty of water for you and your hiking buddies. So we'll have all the info and links for the Camp Kinetic Ultra Titanium Stove and the XTS pot that we tested in today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 172. For today's backpack hack of the week, mashed potatoes in a bag. The simplest go-to dinner that we've found is a bag of Idahoan mashed potatoes. They're a buck a bag, and they have around 400 calories, which is supposed to serve four people, but I can usually eat a whole bag for dinner on the trail. They have about half a dozen flavors to choose from, and the potatoes can be reheated in the bag with about two cups of hot or cold water. They have minimal packaging, so you're not going to be lugging out a whole bunch of garbage. And they are just one of the best uh, comfort foods when you're hiking. It's one of the best no-brainer dinners. All you have to do is open the bag and very carefully pour two cups of hot water inside and then stir it up with a long-handled spoon making sure to reach all the way to the bottom of the bag so you won't have any dry mashed potatoes stuck in the bottom. And then just set the bag next to a tree or between a couple rocks so that the potatoes can rehydrate, which will take about 20 seconds. (laughs) It really does not take very long. And I guess no matter what you do, you'll most likely end up with some of those dry mashed potatoes at the bottom of the bag. Uh, I usually try and stir those in the closer I get to the bottom of the bag and kind of incorporate them into the rest of my potatoes. Um, You can also reheat a little bit of water and pour it in as you get closer to the bottom of the bag. Now, you said hot or cold water. Yeah, I've never eaten them with cold water, but they'll rehydrate just fine. So it's not like pasta or rice where you really should have hot water Uh, or else it'll just get mushy and weird. Yeah, pasta in cold water just gets a little (sighs) soft on the outside, but it's still hard in the middle. Right. just doesn't work. Yeah, but with the potatoes, these are just dehydrated potatoes, and they're really fine. And so if you add water, they will immediately puff up and rehydrate. And hot water, I guess, just... uh... Tastes better. Yeah. Yeah. Hot potatoes just taste a lot better than cold potatoes. Right. And you can also add more water than it calls for and have like a potato soup. 
So especially if you're kind of feeling underhydrated for the day, this might be a good way to get more liquid in. Just add a little more water to water down your mashed potatoes. Idahoan potatoes go on pretty much every trip that our family takes. It seems like all the kids, or at least one of the kids, when they go through that that food bin that we have in our backpacking room, they're bound to pull out those Idahoan bags and select those for their meals. They just love them. Yeah. And if you wanted to healthify it, you could add some freeze-dried peas, or you could add some broccoli that you dehydrated at home. You can add anything to these potatoes to bump up the health factor. How about the black bean, quote-unquote, nuts from trail grazing? Ooh, that would be a really fun thing to add into the mashed potatoes, especially if you've had a few days in a row of the mashed potatoes. Any texture variety would be a welcome addition. And if you can find some chives on the side of the trail, ah, even better. Oh, awesome. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Charles Brightbill. He said, Nature, being the source of all beauty, is beauty's permanent repository. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Fortunately, we have a lot of, what's the word? Help me out. It's technology. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) How do you get down from a tree? How? You don't. You get down from a goose. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.